This podcast is primarily recorded on the traditional territories of the Huron-Wendat and Haudenosaunee peoples, in Cataraqui or Kingston by its colonial name. We center the rightful stewards of this land in order to unsettle our fight for collective liberation. Hi, welcome to Queer Muslim Resistance, a podcast from Oper Kingston. I'm one of your hosts, Maha, and I guess I just wanted to start off by letting folks know who we are and what we're doing here. This podcast is starting off as a practicum project for my master's research at Queen's University. My research looks at queer South Asian Muslim femme resistance through art. Specifically, I interrogate what it means to belong beyond the confines of nation states while being at the intersections of Islamophobia, queerphobia, and while navigating various nationalisms, and so home to queer Muslims can often be a contested space. As a queer South Asian Muslim, I know it can be so hard to be faced with what seems like impossibility. How are you supposed to live as queer and Muslim without understanding you're not the only one? This podcast will focus on celebrating queer Muslim communities, joy, love, and dreams through a transformative justice approach. Luckily for you, it won't just be my voice on the podcast. Joining me for upcoming episodes are Nicole, one of my best friends, and my partner Taylor. I'm super excited to have them both on board. Neither are Muslim, but that's hardly a reason for me to not have these conversations with two people who love and support me in all I do, and who collectively dream new futures with me all the time, because queer Muslim struggles for justice are, as we know, so interconnected with dismantling all forms of oppression. We'll be having conversations with queer folks, most Muslim, some not, who have an interest in transformative justice to share their stories about being queer, and probably Muslim, and loving and living and resisting however we do. We borrowed and amended our guiding principles and practices from Queer Crescent, an awesome queer Muslim healing justice collective. We believe in and assert the following. LGBTQIA plus Muslims are sacred beings. Loving ourselves and each other is revolutionary. The ways in which we build and show up for our communities are laden with transformative power. Collective healing is possible through transformative justice and working outside of the police and carceral systems through prison abolition. An intersectional and internationalist understanding and practice of Islam is not only possible, but necessary for our collective liberation. As Turtle Island-based hosts, we understand our histories and healing pathways are rooted in lessons from Black and Indigenous communities' survival and wisdom. Our struggle is linked with dismantling anti-blackness in particular and racism in general, Zionism, colonialism, imperialism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, casteism, classism, heteropatriarchy, ableism, queerphobia, transphobia, and more. We strive to eliminate any and all barriers to the agency and freedom of movement for all people through radical accessibility and dismantling border imperialism. Our work is indebted to the love, survivorship, and self-determination of queer, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming, and femme Muslims. And with that, I'd like to introduce the loves of my life, Taylor and Nicole. Hello. Hi. Hi. (laughs) So, um, how are you both doing right now? What's been bringing you joy over the pandemic? Mm. Um, I'll shoot first. So, hi, I'm Taylor. Um, I use she/her pronouns, and 
honestly and shamelessly, I can say Maha. <laughs> My love has been bringing me all of the joy Aww. during this pandemic. And getting the opportunity to be in nature with her has been just amazing. And I'm not a nature person, so that says a lot. That was so beautiful. God, <laughs> seeing my best friend in love is beautiful. And also because I can see it on both of your faces and I'm slightly jealous, but I like love your love. Anywho, um, I'm Nicole and I use she, her pronouns as well. Um, I built a garden throughout this pandemic because I was not doing well. The pandemic has not been bringing me joy, um, but my little garden did. I love that. In terms of what's been bringing me joy in the pandemic... We've been doing a lot of art, which mm-hmm. has been nice. Mm-hmm. And it's been really nice to do art with people. Yeah. Especially with Taylor, who doesn't normally do art. <laughs> At all. At all. <laughs> before so this I started. I don't do art, but I'm going to do it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Before the pandemic started, I would be like, why? Because then I felt bad for myself because I thought I was so bad. But Maha is a magically patient person and very encouraging. She makes me put up even my bad art. So there's no such thing as that part. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we all did like our cute little like workshop vulva painting thing. And it was. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. yeah. That's actually brought me a lot of joy too. Like I'm so extroverted. It's been so hard not to see my friends because my health anxiety is so bad. So I'm like, mm-hmm. no, he's in my bubble. Bye. Yeah. Um, but like Zoom chats with friends and like art hangs have mm-hmm. been fantastic. Yeah. 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 So I have a question for Maha, actually. Uh-huh. Why this podcast? Why did you want to make this project? Um, well, good question, Taylor. Um, well, as a queer South Asian Muslim, like, I find it so, so hard, or it's been very hard for me to try and find other queer South Asian Muslim people, or not even necessarily just South Asian, or they don't have to be South Asian. But um, I really, really wanted to create like a platform that centers queer Muslim resistance, um, specifically resistance, um, because there's so much trauma and pain and hurt that people experience. And I want to focus on healing all that trauma Mm -hmm. and hurt. I want to focus on what we can do to make our futures look better, to feel better, to not just better, but you know, revolutionary. Um, what does that healing mean to you? Like, does it look mm-hmm. like individual healing, community healing? What? Definitely collective healing. Um, I feel like it's so important for us to hear each other's stories and to be able to relate to each other's pain and each other's joy. And also um, a common experience I've found among other queer Muslims is assuming that we're anomalies because how are we supposed to exist? Where are we supposed to exist? Mm -hmm. Um, We have Mm -hmm. to create these spaces for ourselves to thrive as us, as queer and Muslim, Mm -hmm. as queer and however else we are positioned in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We're taking at minimum Islamophobia and queerphobia and proving their rotting roots in white supremacy and colonialism and demanding what is impossible to be queer and Muslim and loving and learning in community and turn it into all these possibilities of beautiful, radical joy and happiness, um, things that we all deserve and need to fight for. 
That was so beautiful. I found myself wanting to snap <laughs> while you were talking because it was just poetic. And then I realized that maybe that was inappropriate. <laughs> you can snap. Snap away. Maha's face too. And like as she speaks, you know that like it means so much to her because she lights up. And you can hear it in your voice too. But it's like one of those things. That's, that's why I love asking you about your research. And like I love asking you what you're doing because it's who you are. And you're like, this is like, yes, you're seeing like these radical futures like you want for your community, but it's also, you're creating that for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're creating a community of love and space and like a place where you can be queer and Muslim and be like held. And I just, I think it's really beautiful that you're doing that for yourself and for other people. Thank you so much, Nicole. I love you guys. You guys are the best. Another question or a question that I have for you both is I know that this is a podcast that centers queer Muslim voices um, and you two are on it, even though you are not Muslim, but I have a very deliberate reasoning for that. Um, while you are both wonderful people, you are both wonderful queer people who live queerly, fight to live queerly. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean in just regards or just in regards to sexuality, when we think of mm -hmm. queerness, mm -hmm. I think of it as an analytic, a way to transcend normativeness, if you will. Normativity. Normativity, thank you. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like your own relationships, I don't know, maybe do you want to both kind of situate what you feel like you're doing here, if that would make sense? Ah, I love that question. Yeah. I love that question. I'll let Taylor go first so I can think. I okay. Um, well, just maybe a little quick romance background. Maha and I met in our MA program um, doing gender studies at Queens. And my research similarly has allowed me to explore these queer analytics and um, a loving, a queer way to love and to find each other while trying to understand who we are in mm -hmm. the world. And I think it has been so awesome to get to, you know, research and write about these experiences while living them. And it's so strange because it's a pandemic, <laughs> you know, you, you don't think community necessarily when everyone is so separate and so apart and similarly so stressed out. Um, but that has actually allowed us such a great opportunity to slow down and to recenter ourselves and what is important to us mm -hmm. and then make that happen however we can and so that has looked like you know being out in nature as much as possible and because we've been out in nature it's been a place that we can actually see people even by accident you know mm -hmm. um so I say all of that to say I'm here on this podcast because I too firmly believe in the power of sharing queer thinking and using um, community and friendship and love mm -hmm. as a driving motivator to do that work. Mm -hmm. And what better way to express community and love and friendship than with us? Yeah. you know us as a three and and having these awesome discussions with others so I'm excited mm -hmm. I'm excited <laughs> as Tyler was saying that I figured it would probably be a good idea to mention how I know Maha as well which is um we met through a queer film festival in Kingston mm -hmm. um and 
like just kind of talked about both being queer and then became really good friends. Mm -hmm. And so I also, I do a lot of like, I try and center myself within like queer communities as well. Um, And what Taylor said, like, I think it's just important to be there and to support you and also to learn. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here just to provide you with some love and support, I think. So I guess I wanted to ask you um, what your introduction to Islam looked like. Yeah. So I was taught um, Islamic studies at school. And from my experiences um, learning about Sunni Islam specifically, it's been a very fear-based approach. Like you're Mm. taught to fear God because of his wrath or mm. is that how you say that word is that is it wrath wrath yeah wrath? That sounds, i don't know wrath. Yeah. yeah you said it right okay cool. and i just feel like that's so misguided in terms of like what religion is supposed to be able to teach us um and it's because of the you know the spread of saudi doctrines of wahhabism it was very different for me growing up as a sunni in a sunni state and then coming here mm-hmm because here as in Canada here as in Canada (laughs) (laughs) in what ways in what ways um well like growing up in a Muslim majority country with an authoritarian regime um like you if you disagree with the tenets tenets of Islam or the way specifically the ways in which the state Mm -hmm. enforces those um Mm -hmm. and articulates those then you are deported like there's like the state is very particular in terms of who is allowed to stay and who is not Mm -hmm. um and so islamophobia was not really a concept that i'd you know experienced or i'd heard of but not really because i was like well everyone here not everyone here is muslim obviously but like we're in a muslim majority country we're safe in numbers essentially and um coming here was just so wild because you know Islamophobia in what we call North America today is fucked up it's wild yeah yeah Islamophobia in the west yeah just you know in non-Muslim majority countries yeah Yeah. you know it can't even be the west because we find it everywhere we find it in Mm -hmm. South Asia specifically Mm -hmm. India Mm -hmm. sorry Nicole I didn't hear you that's okay I just said like and the intersections of race as well right like exactly yeah and like the racialization of folks who aren't Muslim and like it's just very disgusting um such a misunderstanding of what Islam is Mm -hmm. Canada as a whole and I think that people don't actually do their own research like people don't go out and like read the Quran or like try and understand things so they they just sit there and listen to like these like racist Islamophobic like Mm -hmm. things that people are saying and it's in articles or whatever and they just go with that Mm -hmm. that's hard right when you're like trying to be like um I'd like to like exist please Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and like not constantly have to defend myself and my so-called community yeah yeah (laughs) Lena is the fourth co-host of Mm -hmm. this podcast absolutely Uh, she will needs to insert her opinions exactly this is a queer podcast there are going to be cats throughout (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong (laughs) so just a little I guess 
so we can give listeners a little bit of context Mm -hmm. about our backgrounds. So you shared that you um, were raised in the UAE, Mm -hmm. but based on your experiences, you are not a citizen. Yes. Right. So, and I know this, so I might tell, I will tell our listeners. So you were born in Pakistan, but um, spent majority of your life in the UAE. And then you came to Canada for university yeah yeah so you've been here for how many years now this is my sixth year here now okay yeah okay and so we get we have an idea of it's quite interesting me and Maha's relationship because we are both we both weren't born here but our experiences are so different both religiously speaking as well as time of immigration yeah um I was born in St. Lucia a country in the Caribbean and moved to Canada as a child in uh, 2005. So I got a lot of my education here and that really conditions you to, and also most, most specifically, I was raised Catholic and went to Catholic schools here in Canada. So it does condition you to assimilation in some way Mm -hmm. that is, is so interesting that, Islamophobia, because, you know, in the West, we are Christian majority countries and nobody thinks of it like that, but we are. So I am, I was able to immigrate here and religion wasn't a stopping point for me. It wasn't a place that I found, um, you know, barrier Mm -hmm. except within myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and trying to understand religion, my religion and queerness. Mm -hmm. But for you, it's, it's not just what religion means to you, right? It's all yeah. this within the world and yeah. it's like a racist, xenophobic space. Sorry, I just interrupted you. Completely. No, no, exactly that. And it's never painted as such. Also, coming into Canada and realizing that not only are you facing this, but there's so much like unrest within like communities here right because Mm -hmm. it's a colony and all of like the like horrific things that have happened on this land Mm -hmm. also must be such a wild thing to have to learn at the same point of first experiencing like what islamophobia is and how it like is shown but i was wondering about you nicole what what are your back what's your background what are your um religious or spiritual experiences so I'm also an immigrant, but I have kind of a different experience. Um, my family came from South Africa and we moved here in 97. Um, and I also went to Catholic school, but specifically because my parents thought it was like a better education, not for religious purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really religious. I had some experiences throughout Catholic school that um, just kind of turned me off, but I believe in spirituality. Um, so I think that like, I believe very, like, strongly in, like, being a kind person and how that can, like, relate and karma and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm open to, like, I think religion's really beautiful. I'm just not religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all have very interesting and very unique relationships with um, the divine or that mm-hmm. which extends beyond the mundane. If, if I were to explain the divine... Uh, at least how I see the divine. Mm -hmm. Um, But specifically for you, Maha, how do you, how would you describe your relationship with the divine and the divine with yourself? Mm -hmm. So in Islam, there's a phrase that God is closer to you than your jugular vein, which is like right by your neck. 
-hmm. And like, that's always kind of stuck with me. Um, Because I remember when I was in high school, again, like, and just not just high school, while I was growing up, because I was in a Muslim majority country, like my faith wasn't really a contested part of my identity. Um, I was very much a firm, like I was very much firm in my beliefs of I'm a Muslim and this is what it means to be Muslim in terms of like a very fear-based approach. Um, And so my relationship now is quite contested, but I'm trying to like mobilize my Muslimness in a way to help me heal from being queer and Muslim, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. How does like being queer and being Muslim affect your relationship with yourself? So initially, I didn't think you could be queer and Muslim. I didn't really, it was kind of, I remember being introduced to like feminism online on Tumblr when I was in high school. And it was just the kind of way I got into social justice and activism. And Um, I remember being like, oh, like people have great points about queer people, but I'm not too sure how to reconcile that with my religion, to be fair. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of left it. I didn't really question it because at the time I wasn't aware of my queerness. And so it wasn't the thing, but I'm going to just not. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, people can do whatever they want and I'm not going to interfere and whatever like I just had a very like I just didn't know how to conceptualize queerness and Islam is existing together it's a fascinating concept though that people can do whatever they want and you can leave them alone to do it it was just Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. I feel like everybody needs to hear that um and then when it came to like me experiencing queer desire I had to confront my queerness I had to confront what it means to be queer and Muslim. Um, And for the longest time, I was just so stuck. I didn't know where to turn to. Um, I wasn't aware of queer Muslim folks and communities living and doing radical work. I wasn't aware. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people just aren't aware because it's hard to find these specific communities if you aren't necessarily looking. Mm-hmm. Um, also a lot of the time those communities are also hard to find in order to protect themselves right? exactly yeah but the the wonderful thing about um uh covid has been mm-hmm. oh I hate I hate saying the wonderful thing about covid I didn't the mean surprising, it like that. the surprising um um bright side yes the surprising bright side of covid is that many things are now virtual And so this summer I've had the wonderful opportunities to take part in workshops, um, like online workshops um, by a variety of groups um, focusing on queer Muslims, which has been so, so awesome. Um, I'm I'm sure you've met people through there that like have really opened your eyes to the fact that you can live radically and beautifully. Mm-hmm, for sure. And like, I remember the first time that I found out that there were other queer South Asian Muslims like me, I was overjoyed. Like I couldn't contain myself. I would, I would have these tabs open for like months <laughs> of just of like different people's work and what they were up to. And like, it was just, it was so refreshing. And so it was like a deep, I can't even describe it. It was just so... You're like, I feel like I'm at home in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. How would you say that you see or like practice or manifest towards having your queer Muslim future within your daily life? 
Mm -hmm. So a big part of that is imagining my future with Taylor um, because she's my partner. Uh, you can't see my giant smile right now, but I'm just letting you know it, exi it exists. Nicole can see it. She's really cute. Taylor's very smiley and Maha looks like she's about to burst into tears, which she does when she's really happy. <laughs> so yeah, like it's been, Taylor's been very instrumental in this for me because for the longest time, I've not been able to imagine a future. I've not been able to think about futures because I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if I'm ever supposed to tell my parents. How am I supposed to keep my family? Sorry to interrupt you, Maha, but like when you and I met, that was a huge thing. Yeah. And I knew that that was like something that you were really struggling with. And so like I've been able to see just, just like for some firsthand, like I've been able to see how in meeting Taylor and getting like, more comfortable in your relationship and finding yourself you've been able to experience that yeah yeah it was it was such a even while we were start when we started dating Taylor like I was so so like just just not in a good place because I didn't know how I was supposed to how I was supposed to live how am I supposed to do things that people are supposed to be doing um what what am I supposed to be doing I don't know I don't know um, what it would be like if I'm supposed to ever find a partner, what would, what would our life look like? How do you have children? What do you tell, like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, like, how am I supposed, like, are you just going to be a spinster your whole life? Like, yeah, no, legit. Like, for the longest time, I was like, I will be living with my roommate. We won't have kids because they will be my roommate. And everyone will just kind of assume like the people who know will know um, and the people who don't know won't know and we'll, and we'll be able to keep everyone that I want in my life in my life without any problems. But recently I've started to understand that like, this is not, we can have a conversation at another time about the whiteness of coming out. Um, and this is not to say that like everyone needs to be out, whatever that means, because safety and visibility driven narratives are not cool. Um, but for me, in terms of finding my own futures with the people I love, that involves my family, my parents. Um, and so this summer I was able to essentially come out to them and we're still working on our relationship, but it went a lot better than I thought it would. Mm. So that's hope for other queer Muslims out there. That was hard. It was, it was hard. a really, it was hard, really time. hard And I don't think that that's something that should be like sort of not talked about or not, not talked yeah. about, not mentioned that it was hard and it showed so much strength, Ma, mm -hmm. showed how strong you are and that you, like you love hard. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Because, like, I guess we can just have that conversation about the whiteness of coming out right now. Absolutely. Because, yeah, because essentially um, this article, I don't remember the author's name, but if you Google the whiteness of coming out, I will link it in the description. But if you Google it, um, it's the first link that pops up. And essentially, um, they talk about how in many non-white communities, um, there's like a don't ask, don't tell policy essentially around mm -hmm. like, like you don't have to have, sit down and have a mm -hmm. conversation with your parents being like, hello, I am this, 
blah, 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 because that's not always possible, not always safe. The language isn't always there. There's so many reasons why it's difficult and not necessarily always a thing that people need to be doing. I think a thing that we have come to realize is that queer people have always existed mm-hmm. without and beyond this mm-hmm. narrative of coming out. Exactly. And what coming out looks like is different for so many people. Mm-hmm. And you live your life, right, mm-hmm. in a way that makes you feel safe and happy and protected and supported. And so you know, we can't look, and I mean, just from a scholarly point of view, so many historians, queer feminist historians have told us we cannot look back mm-hmm. into this historical archive to find and read queerness. Mm-hmm. It is not possible because mm-hmm. our understanding of what queerness looks like and what being out and queer looks like is just so radically different to how it has been practiced and is develops throughout time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that is the big part of, for me, the whiteness of coming out. This idea that being queer is being out, is being practicing this version of, of, of normative or homonormativity, I should say, or normative mm-hmm. queerness that looks like having a conversation with your parents and telling them that you you know, really actually don't want to, you know, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And also expecting, um, I should say, expecting the same result no matter what, Mm -hmm. right? Like community looks different for people. And that took me a long time. Mm -hmm. It took me a really long time to learn that because I I went through the Western education here. I went through Canadian schools. And so in trying to figure out my like Catholicism and queerness, I did the whole, you know, 180 turn of, you know what, religion is bad, you know, everyone who's, you know, and, and this is the only way to be proud. This is the only way to be queer. This is the only way to be mm-hmm. out. You have to look like this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's not just one narrative. Exactly. And it took actually people who were quite religious and queer like Maha and some of my other friends who didn't weren't educated here to actually help me to see past that. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's important to know, and we'll touch on it probably in another episode, um, but that the idea of heteronormativity and the nuclear family and everything like that, it's so colonial. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like different um, sexualities and different genders existed prior to colonization. And so no, people like people shouldn't have to feel like they have to come out. Like, mm-hmm. like that's taken from them. And I like I am white, right? And I did come out, but I also think that there's a huge thing to say that you don't need to come out to everybody. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't like you don't have to. You yeah. can be out to just whoever you want to be out to, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even have to be safety. Like honestly, it's exhausting. Yeah. The idea of having it to is out. exhausting. And so I came out by literally just being like, "Girls are hot." Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just dating women and being like, everybody else can figure it out. I don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I can't imagine what it's like to have other things on top of it. But I just think it's important to note that it is super white. It's also super colonial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's also thinking about how, at least for me, I've 
thinking about how colonialism has impacted my understanding of my religion and how I read mm-hmm. and understand religion has also led me away from religion, surprisingly, and toward faith and spirituality. So I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, Maha, mm-hmm. how how did you make how how did how do you make sense of you know your faith and spirituality personally what intrigues you about that process i think it's so like something that i've only recently learned is that islam is not a monolith mm-hmm. and that faith is personal and mm-hmm. that since god is so close to your jugular vein how can how can everyone practice the same way how can like god knows you like i don't know i don't know so how, yeah that makes well yeah. answer for how you're supposed to live and what god thinks mm-hmm. when god is supposed to be so personal right mm-hmm. and i yeah. think that um growing up catholic as taylor um and i both did um you see that within like the new testament right mm-hmm. in comparison to the old testament but it's not brought through in how a lot of people view religion. And that's really hard, right? Like when you know, like Allah loves you, like Allah is closer to your jugular vein, but then you're hearing people say like all these things and you're like, what God loves me. Like he knows who I am. He knows I'm queer mm-hmm. and I feel safe and loved mm-hmm. within that. But then you're being told by other people, that's not how you should feel. It's such a weird mm-hmm. understanding, I think of what, faith really is and what God is meant to mean to you Mm -hmm. Um, or spirituality like what you believe in is meant to mean to you and I think that that's important to mention Mm -hmm. it's been quite interesting for me uh this summer uh you know similar to Maha I have a very very um traditional religious uh catholic grandmother and i love her to pieces i love her so much and so it's been hard you know trying to share such an important ma who's such an important person in my life and my god willing my future and with my grandmother who is very traditional and interestingly the process has become both of us urging each other to go back to, you know, what draws us to religion, go back to the text, go back to the message, go back to what it is, because, and and I think, and I'm so fascinated by my grandmother. Every time I talk to her, she surprises me because I know how she feels, right? She doesn't have to tell me how she feels. I know how she feels, although she does tell me through her reading of religion, she does tell me, but our conversation can move beyond that. Our conversation can be one of caring and of love. And you know, Taylor, I I love you. And I, this is, I want this for you because this is how I think love is manifested, right? Understanding that God and religion is supposed to be about community and love and care and realizing that if, sorry, Taylor, I just interrupted you. No, yeah if the people you love want to love people why would you stop that like Mm. that's the thing it's very hard it is very hard but it's been this process and and that this process has actually turned me both toward uh catholicism but also toward islam for example and asking questions and and finding my finding again my faith returning back to my faith returning back to what I believe so that I can practice that wholeheartedly and 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 
be moved by not what other people, how other people um, impose religion, but how aspects of religion and view it in your own ways. Right. And and it's so personal. It is so personal, but yet it's not something you can do alone. It it, it isn't. I firmly Mm. believe you have to, you have to seek you know, your community, people, you know, you trust, who, who you can ask questions to, who love you, right? Mm-hmm. And that has taken the form of both, for me, Catholicism and my grandmother, and also our you, Maha, and also our um, Muslim friends, who are also some of them quite mm-hmm. traditional, and yet who still love us, who still know who we are. And that has been such a welcoming mm-hmm fascinating and exciting but sometimes scary process for me personally and what about you for me um one thing sorry going back specifically to your question earlier about what intrigues me about the process Mm -hmm. of making spirituality like my own um I think um it's been really 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 I just keep saying really 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 really, yes (laughs) super really (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's been um super interesting for me to realize that like we to like I mean I knew this but like I didn't internalize this fact that we are all creations of the divine Mm. and so the divine is within us like we are like we are all connected it's been such a self-affirming realization or a concept for me to be like well, yes, like, if I am a creation of the divine, then I'm a creation of the divine. Like, who, like, what, who are you to tell me how mm-hmm. I'm supposed to interpret or live or practice my, interp- my manifestations of the divine? Like, we all have that within us to practice and believe and act in ways that center each other, um, center community, center love but you know my understanding and like the way that I view spirituality and religion is that it is about community mm-hmm. in and of itself because because my beliefs are quite different um but I think that at the end of the day religion exists for people to be able to come together and feel like they're a part of a community so why would you push people out right mm-hmm. yeah and also yeah I mean if you are part if in it of yourself and existing you are part of being divine then like queerness is beautiful and it's divine within itself as well Mm -hmm. for sure in terms of your life what do you think you need to let go of to be able to live your life being like queer and radical let go of i don't know that's what maha's question is what Um, like to let go of to bring in our queer radical futures I don't know if I'm going to let go of anything. You're not even going to let go of white supremacy? Capitalism? Oh. Colonialism? <laughs> <laughs> oh, these are themes. I thought you meant just like... It could be... Oh, they can be what, however you interpret well, the question. Well, okay. So, sure. I would like to let go of all of those things. Mm-hmm. But mm, the way I see it is... And it's so hard for me because I feel like it's hard... 
my, and we've had this conversation many times. I often am like, I don't want to, the world sucks. So why does anything matter? <laughs> you know? It's, well, yes, especially in this COVID life. Exactly. I frequently have moments where I'm like doom and gloom really for the future. And yeah. I've, I've determined that the queerer and, and queer meaning more radical, more hopeful, but hopeful with a radical spin, as in not just, it's radical hope, that's it, it's mm-hmm. radical hope, um, is to cling close, cling to the people I care about, cling to the people um, I love, and use their power and their energy that they give me to mm-hmm. do work that matters. So mm-hmm. for me, I don't feel like I have to let go of anything. Mm-hmm. I kind of just have to reconcentrate, mm-hmm. reconcentrate on the goodness of love, of community, of friendship, mm-hmm. and, and make it so queer that I can use that as fuel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what you were saying um, made me think, I don't think about myself as being radical. I don't think about how I live as being radical. I don't realize it. And I think it's in the same way that Taylor is saying, like, I haven't had to let anything go. I've just let more things in. And I've let Mm -hmm. myself feel love and understand that, like, when I view my future, I don't personally view it with possibly having bio children. But like, we've talked about it. And I view it as seeing my friends. I view it as being an aunt to your guys' kids and like being a godmother and helping these like them raise like raise them in like this queer, beautiful, like diverse thing. And that doesn't feel radical to me. It feels right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's how I see it. I love that. It's not really letting anything go. I think it's just letting go of the idea that I have to marry a dude and have kids or whatever. But you let go of that a long time ago. Yeah, that's being let go. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's being like (laughs) but like you know what I mean I think that's what I did have to let go of um because I think I think it's more just about honestly living queerly and like just not having like these like nuclear home heteronormative um views just allows you to like let in more love and Mm -hmm. have more people in your life and also to know when to cut people out Mm -hmm. Maha how do you what do you see that as like how do you what have you had to let go of or what do you think you're going to have to let go of possibly yeah I feel like a central thing that I do have to work to let go of is the notion of impossibility um Mm -hmm. the notion that like it's not possible for me to live the futures that I deserve like of course Mm. of course those are possible we can make them happen together Mm. um we can work together to collectively make You're shit happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, sorry, Nicole, I didn't hear what you said. You're not on your own in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm not on my own in this. And that's so comforting to hear because, like, it feels like such an individual problem. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's supposed to be, like, the onus is put on the individual to figure out their own Muslimness and their own queerness. Mm-hmm. When, like, we should all be working together with our families, with our Muslim communities, with our queer communities, with our queer Muslim communities to help queer Muslim folks be and love and 
be a part of exist life. Yeah, exist yep. within with people. Um, it can't be pushed as an individual thing, even though it's very much made to be so. Because I felt like it was my problem that I had to be because it was my fault that I was queer or whatever. That no, it's not my fault. It's the ways in which Islam has been conditioned um, or the articulations of Islam by, you know, cishet men um, don't allow for queerness, don't allow for growth, don't allow for radicalness. Mm. But the thing is, they, they don't allow it, but it's there. It's it there. Exists. It exists. The yeah. thing is, like, queerness is born in the fissures of, like, heterosexuality like in heterosexual spaces the home for example is I live in a home and here I am like you know what I mean (laughs) Mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. like it's just it's very it's a very interesting thought for me to be like and you can tell sorry to interrupt you but you know that queerness like Taylor said this at the beginning but we know queer people queer beings have existed for years why else would there be so much stuff against being queer right and so the more and more that people try and shut down these voices like when you have the internet you have people that are able to connect more the louder that you get to be able to become Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the 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 very idea that like heterosexual spaces heteronormative spaces normative spaces create queerness create dissidence is so funny to me it's just it's just kind of like a a slap in the face to all those queerphobic people being like, well, you know, you, you, you raised me by the way. Mm-hmm. And here I am. So queer. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. And like, also going back to what you said earlier in this episode, Taylor, you said um, that we can't go back in time and read for queerness because while queerness exists in relation to what is normative, Mm-hmm. right so yeah. oh say it again say it one more time just say it one more time queerness exists in relation to what is normative that was beautiful we didn't always have to be queer yes right we just exist yep exactly mm-hmm. so hopefully we can that. get back to that one day yeah. i love that oh that was beautiful that was i think exactly what we've been trying to articulate this entire podcast mama you just said <laughs> Like that is like that is what encapsulates what mm. what you're doing this podcast for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like we've covered pretty much everything we want to get through. Mm-hmm. Like, if anybody made it to this point, you know why we're here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know what we're about, okay? No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there anything you want the listeners, Maha, to take from the stories that you're going to tell in this and your story mm-hmm. from your research? Like, what yeah. is it that you would like? Who do you want to be able to find this podcast and what do you want it to be able to say to them? essentially is what I'm I really hope every queer Muslim is able to find not just this podcast but whatever resources are available to queer Muslims because to see other people thriving to see your elders thriving and living and succeeding whatever success means but you know you know just being happy being with love yeah being able to exist as queer being able to exist as Muslim um just the fact that like it's possible for you to be happy. Um, and 
like possible it's possible to be loved it's possible to be loved to love it's also it's imperative that we don't just focus on our queerness and our muslimness um and i feel like we i don't know there's the tendency for many people i'll be talking about this in a later episode in more detail but there's the tendency for people to kind of valorize a certain placenessness and that's a quote from Kamala Viswasaran um in terms of being like oh well home is so hard for me to find that I'm not gonna claim a home at all and I feel like I just want to center the fact that like we exist in relationship to where we exist if that makes sense we have relationships to the land that we occupy Mm -hmm. we and specifically for us based in turtle island that means working towards indigenous sovereignty with folks who are doing similar radical work right that doesn't mean fighting for more rights within the canadian system necessarily that can be a part of the fight but that's not our end goal here our end goal is to dismantle nation states, essentially. Mm. Um, and I just want to make that clear for folks. Um, that <laughs> we, <laughs> yes, please, dismantle, dismantle all, all borders. borders. Fuck nationalism. Nationalism yes. is gross. Yes. Especially when notions of like, the multicultural melting pot of Canada. Woohoo. Like, we're also accepting, like, no, you're not. Like, shut the fuck up, Canada. We all know what you're about. Like, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Queer Muslim Resistance. We hope to see y'all soon because we have many more opinions and lots more discussions to be had with awesome, awesome guests. You can find us on Instagram at Queer Muslim Resistance and email us at queermuslimresistance at gmail.com if you would like to be featured on the podcast.